0: Hi, I'm Lindsay Tauber of Help Around, and I'm happy to welcome you to a specialty patient podcast with your host, Ishai Noble. Each episode is crafted to bring you new insights into the specialty drug ecosystem. Our guests share HelpAround's passion for improving the patient experience and making specialty patients' lives easier. I hope you enjoy listening to this session.
1: Good afternoon and good morning, everyone. My name is Ishaik Knobel, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Helparound. And uh, and we are very excited right now, and I'm overly excited because uh, I'm, uh, I literally was able to connect my um, sound and earphones um, literally two minutes ago. So if I seem overly uh, anxious, you know, this is... This could be one of the reasons. And I have with me my partners in crime. Uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun today. Very interactive. Uh, Maureen, do you mind uh, introducing yourself?
0: Hi. No, happy to. And and he, two minutes is... is uh... You're sandbagging us. It was more like two seconds. (laughs) Gary and I were sweating this. Hi, good morning, everybody. I'm in the San Francisco Bay area, so it's morning where I am. My name is Maureen Bala. I'm the managing advisor for Galway Group Life Sciences. It's a small consulting practice. I started almost a year ago. we focus on patient support services, uh, primarily for pre-commercial biotech startups. Um, I've had the great luck in my career to lead patient support launches at both Amgen and most recently Immune Therapeutics. And I started in biotech with probably the best gig in the industry. I was the operations manager for Genentech's Access to Care Foundation. Um, So, Keep the questions coming. As Allie pointed out, this is a recorded session, but the chat box and attendees who go on camera will not be recorded. Is that correct, Allie?
2: Camera will be, but any chat or
0: list will not be. Okay. So chat. So, you know, sometimes the, with this virtual conference, sometimes things can feel really contrived, but the conversation's only going to be as good as your input. So please hop on the chat, get on camera. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. And Gary.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Gary Ellickson, and I'm uh, Vice President of Corporate Accounts at Supernus Pharmaceuticals. Um, that entails, my responsibilities entail both uh, payer access as well as distribution matters. Um, I've been at Supernus for about the length of the commercial organization's existence. We started back about 10 years ago um, and launched several drugs in the process of a couple right now. Uh, I've been in the Um, industry for 35 years, a little bit beyond 35 years. I spent uh, the first part of my career in marketing and the second half on the payer side in various roles. Um, I've had launch experience in both marketing and the payer side, multiple therapeutic areas and different types of products. Um, Right now we're in the middle of, we just started rather, launching a new ADHD molecule into the US space. And we're preparing for a drug device uh, to be launched probably in another 18 months, 18, 24 months. So i um, glad to be here.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Maureen and Gary. Uh, just a couple of words about uh, about uh, us, so help around. We put together this session because we feel very, very strongly about um, about putting the onus on us as industry to launch drugs that they can then uh, be easily accessible. There's so much planning. There's so much to consider. So many considerations in the way of launching a drug and making it uh, reach patients. So today we're gonna touch on that. Help Around is a platform that focuses on creating this this cocoon around the patient, so that the patient doesn't have to worry who's running my hub, who's running my copay, who's running my uh, PAP, uh, and all that stuff. So we just turn all that into an experience that uh, is more similar to what consumers are used to and kind of hiding the, the all the commotion behind the scenes for the patient so that patients can get on therapy and stay on therapy easily. And thank you for bearing with me on the commercials. We would always love to talk to you afterwards. But now let's switch gears. We want to make this useful. So we're going to start by asking uh, you guys for. Is it four or five polling questions? Because we want to understand what you care about. Please participate, enter what you're interested in so we can tailor the conversation around your uh, areas of interest. Let's kick it off. So, polling question number one, and this is where I feel like I'm uh, a game show host. All right, let's 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 switch gears, but you know, while the team is putting this together, uh, let's just get started. Uh, Maureen, let's talk about the elements of drug launch. We're here to talk about drug launch Okay. If you could you know kind of summarize us summarize for us, how do you see the element of drug launch and uh, and then we can start diving into each part of it?
0: So when I'm thinking about launches, you know I'm looking at the organization and is this their first launch? pre-commercial startup or are we talking about like an 800 pound gorilla that has the infrastructure right and they could do launches in their sleep right they've got their mrl teams they've got marketing they've got salesforce they they know how to do this so um that is one is to have that honest assessment about where your organization is um the second thing i would stress i can't stress this enough is start earlier and i'm not i'm not trying to drum up new business it's that's not it if if you're thinking about building your patient support services about, you know, let's say six, five months before Padufa, you're too late. You're, you're too late. You're too late in terms of being able to offer a meaningful experience for your patients. And you're too late in terms of your contracting. And also importantly, the data collection, capture, and analysis that you're gonna want, you're gonna need. You're gonna need to be able to pivot. You're gonna need to be able to look at dashboards week one, week two post-launch and know where you stand. And if you're if you wait till six months before PADUFA, you're not gonna have those in place. So start early, you know, honest assessment of where you are as an organization. Start earlier than you think you need to. And then obviously you're looking about, you know, your therapeutic area, how competitive it is. Uh, honestly assess what your payer mix is going to be. if you're looking at an entirely Medicare or Medicaid patient population, let's say it's for catastrophic care, um, your service offerings and some of your contracting strategies is gonna be very different.
1: So let's see the results coming in.
0: So while while folks are collecting, one of the things, right, the reason we ask these questions is um, your strategy is hinges upon your patient needs, right? You should be reverse engineering from that. Um, so, so when we were talking, thinking about price or site of care, site of administration, there are um, there are different roles, right? It's it's for instance, it's very difficult to, or you have to get creative to do it compliantly to support patients who are receiving a high cost drug, let's say at a center of excellence or an inpatient setting. Um, if for tweener we're seeing increasingly more and more drugs launching in the specialty space price at 10 to 12k um and your contracting with the sps is going to be very differently than it would be for like a six-figure uh therapy so that's why we're asking um okay our, mix. Yes, what's our 80
1: commercial yeah okay. how many people responded can we see that
0: about um majority of the group has responded uh so so that's yeah so that's the the mix
1: okay so let's move on next one next question what phase is your product in i want to see everybody now at imminent launch and then we're going to tell them uh, that you waited too long all right everybody's launching tomorrow So everybody uh, seems to be focused on a launch, and I guess uh, I'm glad that you guys came here uh, to talk about the concrete steps. All right, moving on, last two questions, and then we kick back to the conversation. We have 80% people of our audience in an imminent launch. The fourth one is, for your upcoming launch, which best describes the market landscape? No One, no current treatments available. One to two therapies exist, but our therapy has novel features. Or there are three to five competitors and or generics. A little more on the uh, existing. So 6040, but no one here is uh, launching into a very crowded market. So we don't really need to spend any time on that. Let's just talk about, you know, pair negotiations when either there are no current treatments available or when there are just one or two therapies out there. And last question, how many brands does your company currently have in the market? Just one, one to five, six or more.
0: Yeah. So these are pretty established. Um, no, actually we have,
1: yeah, we have, um, uh, yeah, we have, uh, so we have companies that, um, mostly have something in the market yes okay so a lot of larger companies. so we will gear the conversation a little bit towards the larger companies uh that has six or more drugs in the market thank you everyone so i want to rephrase the question about i want to phrase because everybody here is in launch mode um what are the common mistakes and i want to focus on mistakes to steer away from in launching a drug okay because you know the best practices, I think everybody's like, yeah, you know, we should launch early, we should plan. But like, what should we actually be mindful of? What are the common mistakes that you are seeing out there among larger companies launching into domains, into disease areas where there are already maybe one or two drugs? Uh, it's you know whack under fifteen thousand dollars specialty pharmacy what are the common mistakes in the launch areas and then let's dive deeper into each area and this time uh,
2: gary if i can start with you yeah i think in a larger organization probably just making sure people are aligned on the strategy i mean you've got a you've got a clinical r d area that's you know moving through a a dossier or submission to the fda and early on a lot of decisions are made about you know the label about where it's going to go what what the studies are going to support it what's the open label after it what's it look like and then i think it's always the fundamental competition between getting a drug approved and getting a valuable drug approved and i think by then to really understand the payer space to really know what they're using what the pricing is you know who's going to pay for this what the providers expect is you know if it's a buy and bill it's a whole different coding game and different thing and then particularly specialty pharmacy as well. So I think, um, looking at your reimbursement, I'm going to, I'm going to harp on value proposition, because if you don't have that, um, your pricing may not be what senior management hoped it would be. So you need to just really be the leader to make sure that the payer um, voice and needs are in the conversation and that the data that supports that need, because it all comes down to your label and data, that that's there, and it starts early enough so that you're not chasing your, your tail and your year out, and you're going to bring all the stuff that probably should have came at launch. So, so let's, that, let's, let's that's focus a, on that. That's a challenge. Yeah.
1: But let, let's focus on that, uh, Gary, if you will. Well, you know, when in terms of putting together the value proposition for the payer negotiation, um, and you know, let's be mindful that most people here are already probably after negotiations, maybe in the middle, maybe wrapping it up and starting to look at contracting. What are some of the key mistakes to steer away from in these negotiations and in the data that you're bringing to the payers and the value proposition?
2: Well, I think sometimes you, you have data that convinces you, but it doesn't convince a payer. You know, I mean, they want definitive things. And they're, as everyone knows who's on this workshop, they're a little cynical in their nature and they're very, they have high standards and hard standards. So making sure that, you know, that you really have looked at the, uh, the challenges, and that you've been honest about what's your value proposition and what it can really bring. And then align the pricing, because they're going to ask you every five minutes what the price is. And you, you really can't assign a price until you have a value proposition that's firm and that's well-developed and established. So I think um, uh, coordinating all those pieces and making sure you get in early with the payers. If it's a new molecule, there's no treatment, you need to be way early.
1: If when you say early, early, how you know, many months in your ideal-
2: I at least two three years out at least with three information you can't talk about product but you can certainly talk about the evolution of this new treatment and that type of stuff so it's got to be a really coordinated effort with your clinical team your medical science liaisons or whatever your resource is and even marketing on the, on the physician side so this is a orchestra that goes out not um separate sections that have messages so i'd say that's that's super super important
0: if if I could add something, I, I echo everything Gary said, but when you think clinical trial team, right, they're examining the efficacy and the safety profile of the drug. They're not necessarily, like, study design doesn't necessarily have an HEOR event. So things like burden of disease, the data that you would need for a compelling value prop to the payers isn't top of mind for a clinical trial team, and it shouldn't be. Um, I think The challenge is that sometimes for these organizations is that to have the studies and the data that someone like Gary or somebody on his team can go to a pair with is lagging. So if I could say to anything when they're when they're building your market access team or let's say if you're at a large organization assigning who's going to be the access lead is to sit down with clinical and medical affairs as soon as possible, and make sure they understand what you have to go to, what you need to go to the payers. Is that fair, Gary? Oh
2: well, yeah, I think it absolutely is. And I think also if it's a especially drug, if the pa- patient population that's you know, defined, making sure everybody's on the same page in terms of what your reaches for those patients, based on your label. I've seen things where you kind of limited your patient access because of certain um, lack of information or over-controlled um, uh, label indication or other pieces of it. Because really, as everyone knows, the, what they're going to say is they're going to control your drug to label. So at the end of the day, what's there is going to be um, the kind of the structure that defines it for them. There'll be other information given, but that that's really what is going to be your main go-to.
1: And in terms of when we're looking at you know we sounds like our audience already has geared around I'm gonna share I'm gonna to try to share my screen real quick. I'm gonna share actually uh, something that Maureen posted uh, this morning uh, okay. and if you guys are if you guys are not
0: following,
1: are not <laughs> following not- Maureen <laughs> let's see if uh, I if- what
0: he's about to show
1: uh i'm just uh, i'm just showing the biopharma launch planning uh oh, okay. funnel uh nothing too embarrassing uh,
0: okay <laughs> so well, I, i'm very i'm very active on linkedin folks and please do feel free to either connect or, or follow me I, I post a lot I, I love working in this space by the way i i genuinely do um one thing just to follow up while well, you works out the the av crew stuff um I say this to market access VPs, and they always kind of laugh at me, but they're laughing with me, you're going to pay for your price. You either pay in contracting, you pay in formulary position, you pay in terms of uh, patient support, offering specifically copay, you're going to pay for your price. Um, and and it's one of those kind of nitty gritty, like people don't want to talk about it. It's so, it's so ugly or distasteful to them, especially if you work in patient support. But the reality is if your patients can't access your drug, you don't get to help them. So that's, that's why, I mean, dollars drive decisions in this country.
1: So Maureen really did a, a beautiful job on kind of laying out the launch planning. And I think we talked about pricing. Uh, it sounds like our group here already has pricing because people said yeah. you know it's about under fifteen thousand whack. What's the next step? Okay, pricing, payers. Now, what happens, and who should be at the table at this point? And first of all, what time frame are we talking about? ahead of the launch, we should be right now. What, twelve months before launch? When we or six months before launch? Where should we be?
2: In terms, I mean, they're they're very different spine spans, right? I mean. Depending on how new the treatment is, how evolutionary it is, and what its differentiation is, I mean, if it's really different, I would recommend that the clinical medical science liaisons, everybody needs to be in early, setting the stage before the product ever sees the light of day, because they, you know, every payer thinks, tell you, that they treat everything and there's, they have a, a low cost drug for about everything. I mean, I'm, I'm overstating a bit, but that's kind of their point of view. So you've got to be planting seeds uh, early, often. First of all, there's no surprise, but when, you're, when the product information comes in, it has the kind of impact that you hope that it would, and they have a frame of reference um, to uh, evaluate the drug. Um, if it's something that's, you know, already competing with other products, then there's going to be price comparison, there's going to be label comparison, there's going to be a different, different ball of wax in terms of separating yourself out from the competition. Um, versus a brand new therapy, never been seen kind of deal. So now, so more,
1: I'll just, I want to kind of focus, focus my question for a second. You know, you have your pricing and it's time to really, and, and you are beyond the point of negotiations now, uh, and it's time to put together, now of course, it's never so linear, right? It's never so linear There's like, oh, I have all my data. Great. Now I'm going to have coffee, and then I'm going to go to my pair negotiations. I'm going to then I'm going to have some more coffee, and then I'm going to go now and call patient services in and talk about our launch planning and and start contracting hubs. It's never so linear, right? At what point do you involve you know the more downstream effort, channel patient support, uh, medical affairs and market access, uh, um, you know, and and where does that handoff ideally happen? And I'm gonna harp on this. What are the most common kind of requests that you get from customers? What do you like? Well, I mean, here's how I would help you.
0: You know, so I strongly encourage if if you haven't. And I, I don't offer this service, so I'm not I'm not pitching. For oh good. You. Twelve, <laughs> you know, twelve, twelve, fifteen months before your Padufa, you need to have a cracker jack. Um, uh program manager project planner um and by that i don't i i mean i'm talking someone who's pmp certified and who knows pharma who can do the tetris game of okay wait a minute that's going to have to be teed up for her you know med reg legal review wait a minute we need to make sure that d to product Uh, or where product is in the channel. Wait, where's the contracting with the EPA provider? You need somebody at that level. I don't do that, but I will say that that's one of those um, very tactical roles. And a lot of times in these commercial organization tactics don't get enough respect get a crackerjack i'm talking ad level like associate director level senior manager level somebody who really knows what's what a strat lead uh, in some organizations make sure you have that person in place and that they've launched drugs before Um, the other thing is i would say 12 15 months out you need to have your data team lined up and i'm not just talking about data for your hcp targeting right or your profiling because so much emphasis is put on driving the decision to prescribe you need to make sure you you've worked with your data aggregator. You figured out where, let's say, either your distributor or your SP data. How's that going to be put in the aggregate? And how are you going to create a holistic patient journey that includes patient support or other touch points? Um, I could go on and on and I'll, I'll spare you guys. I see that the question came up uh, mostly while launching a cancer product buy and build from an access perspective. with the value of volume based discounts at launch. <sighs> oh this is this gary do you want to do you want to take this as an onc buy and bill um yeah
2: i mean why well, I've, I've had it not with oncology yeah. uh, with toxins and various things i mean to me i think the first first thing to do is to really understand um you know the reimbursement flow for the product yeah. because some of it's going to be reimbursed on the medical side and some is going to be worse on the potentially on the drug side, depending on the drug of the product and how it works and what components of it are. So, really having a map of your reimbursement, having expectations um, set for both provider and for payers in terms of how this works, um, in terms of how it's going to be reimbursed. They're comfortable that you've really helped, you've got the, the assets in line to help them with reimbursement, whether it's personnel, whether it's information, whether it's website, whatever it is. Whatever your communication vehicles are. So, I think that is important. And understanding how the government could influence, because it has an influence whether you're commercial or not. Yeah. I mean, it, it overrides a lot of things. And sometimes, you know, there'll they'll, they'll be government that'll affect Medicare if your product happens to be a Medicare. There's groups that affect that on top of the commercial. So, there's lots of layers of reimbursement and, and having a really comprehensive understanding about the interaction, making sure your providers and payers aren't surprised or disappointed by the reimbursement expectations and what they get uh, is a really huge thing in terms of volume discounts I, I don't know that market as much i'm not sure it's a volume you know uh, I've, I've seen one where you you know you the guys who buy so much they get five percent or for whatever the number is um you've got to watch all that stuff from an asp point of view average selling price mm-hmm. and be careful with that because you could affect the uh, gross net of your product so some bots maureen i don't know what
0: Yeah. So um, I'm just I'm just breaking down. This was a question submitted in the chat and please and folks, please. It helps us right for the next five, ten minutes or so. You know, we want to be helpful to you. when I'm thinking cancer products, so um, in terms of access, right, it's price, how competitive the market is, what's your payer mix, right? It's going to be different for, let's say, I'm going to pick on um, advanced stage cervical cancer, which might have a heavy Medicaid uh, demographic. So a government payer. And as Gary indicated, your government's not only your payer, it's also a regulator, right? A regulatory agency. So that's going to be very different than, let's say, um, uh, a melanoma or HER2 positive breast cancer. So I need to know a little bit more about the tactics. What I will say is people, um, there isn't a lot and I'm going to make some people cringe, but I'm just going to say it. Before I got into pharma, I worked in hospitals for eight years. Um, I was a a hospital admin I was a practice manager, I've been a medical assistant, I, I know only enough to be a little dangerous and hopefully somewhat helpful. So one of the group, I managed in a pediatric infusion center where most of the kids were there for onc. most of your centers of excellence, your cancer centers, they're going to handle their patient support in terms of access, because it's right, it's a global authorization. It may be bundled in terms of payments. So, um, you know, I'm always happy to phone a friend. You know, first call is always free. If you have specifics, I'm happy to follow up. But it really depends on the therapeutic area and kind of that patient demographic. I'll
1: stop yeah. talking. Yep. Yeah. If there are more questions, and please uh, bring them in, in. Uh, right now. I'm going to switch gears quick, quickly. In terms of, um, you know, the promotion to HCPs uh, and patient support planning for the patients, how have things evolved over the past year or two, uh, maybe in regards to COVID and maybe not in regards to COVID? Uh, in in ability to come to HCPs, to connect with HCPs. When and how should uh, uh, drug launch teams prepare for the new environment?
2: I think that there's going to have to be extremely... We're launching drugs currently. They're in the retail market, which not many people around it sounds like to me. But there's certainly an impact on physicians' access. Um, their staffing is under a lot of pressure they've lost people over the time. So there's a little disarray. Um, there's a lot of disarray in the reimbursement because that's a lot of just knowledge learned over time. And if you lose key people, that affects things. So I think that's, that's a big deal in terms of getting to physicians, it's harder. So whatever you, your call average was, or, you know, to use that phrase, it's probably half of that now. So how are you going to reach out to physicians with KOLs? How are you going to use your medical science liaison or whatever your, your group is called? i think that's an opportunity for them so you really got to think about it and then the patient supports i mean you know we have a drug that's got nursing support and that was very difficult during COVID. so you have to find a way to reach the patients to make sure that they're that the, you know they can start on therapy that they're supported so there's a lot of things that you know i'm not sure i going to go away 100 they're probably going to be a wrinkle in what we do from now on out be my guess so i think you just have a have a plan that's flexible you know, if it all comes back, great, but if it doesn't, you can handle it no matter what um, the environment is and what the physician's environment is and institutional or whatever it happens to be. And one thing that uh, I just want to point out that
1: we're seeing more and more, we're seeing uh, a lot of, um, you know, manufacturers come to us and say, you know what, we have this, here's the whole patient journey, and here's the, right, here's the payer profile, here's the... You know, here's how we get to patients and we put PAP in place and we put Copay in place and we put uh uh you know all these great resources, but it feels sometimes like the patient services team is kind of getting a handoff from marketing and they say, Here's how it is, go figure it out and make it easy for the patient to use. And and you know, there are at the you know, at the, the downstream, so they see the finish line. They see the pedophilia, you know, coming at them. Uh, so, how? What would you suggest to kind of the people, the group today, as best practices so that you don't end up in a crunch at the end? Like, how do I tile this together for the patient uh, and for the and for the HCP? And I know start earlier is a great example, but let's go deeper. Start earlier. How? What should marketing and patient services do a little differently? Uh, to come more integrated to the market.
0: So, so many feelings. <laughs> so many feelings. I'm going to back up and just touch upon your previous uh, question because it, it ties in nicely with this. So, when you asked about COVID and what's changed for patient support, access, all this, I think, um, if anything, most organizations have realized that the things they were doing were tactics and not strategy. So, I'm going to say something provocative. A sales force, and I mean like a large team of reps, they're a channel. That's not a strategy, right? The strategy is to get prescribers to understand the clinical efficacy and hopefully superiority of your drug and write prescriptions. So how you do that can be done during digital channels, interactions. It's not necessarily someone bringing cupcakes and giving it to the girl at the front anymore. That's fundamentally changed since COVID. And I think it's accelerated digital offerings, marketing and messaging. And to that end, we see more manufacturers now who are okay with HIPAA consent and patient authorization being supplied digitally before a lot of manufacturers a lot of legal teams were like i want a wet signature on a fact sheet and that's i think that's done i think i think people are like okay that's not reasonable if you can get a mortgage for your house over docusign you should be able to enroll in patient support offerings um in terms of you know kumbaya and teams all getting along i if i could stress anything to colleagues in promotional and in marketing is to understand that it's not enough to drive prescriptions. You want the patients to stay on therapy. And in order to do that, you have to partner with your patient support. And that could and, and so when you're building out things like brand.com, there better be somebody from managed care marketing or patient support sitting there at the table. Because I can tell you when that happens and when it doesn't just by looking at the copay website at launch, you're like, dude, they don't even have the brand colors. And it's because the website needed to be built, right? It's probably with a third party vendor who's administering the benefit. And Brand, for whatever reason, wasn't able to give skins or artwork to patient support, maybe because they didn't even talk to each other. So I'm kind of excited. I mean, not to sound trite, but I mean, COVID, all of this has been absolutely devastating to so many people for so many, I I, I, it's such a profound um, loss, right? Uh, But when we look at our industry, you know, I think we've been forced to think more critically about where we spend our dollars and how we go about our business. Um, And I think hopefully there'll be a more collaborative work style moving forward.
2: I just build on that real quickly and say that I think that, you know, there's some regulatory issues with marketing and client services and all that stuff where reports Mm -hmm. all that, but I really believe that you need a well thought out and staffed, patient services area. It needs to have someone who's accountable or some area that's accountable for all that. And it has to go across um, departments and disciplines because otherwise it's going to be parsed into many different people, with many different ideas, and that's not going to work. You need somebody who's accountable for the hub, accountable for the especially whatever the pieces happen to be. So I think that's essentially critical. And if you if you do that well, then you won't have some of the issues that Maureen was bringing up. You don't have the people are disconnected and accountability everywhere, but nowhere. which really sure doesn't
0: uh, work too well. See, I, I guess it's, I go back to the idea of strategy. So everyone's like the hub, oh, you launch hubs. I know, I said, I I ask companies, why do you think you need a hub? Talk talk to me, what's your price? What do you think of the price? What's your coverage gonna look like? What's the patient out of pocket gonna be? How are your HCPs gonna know where to send the script? So bringing on, Somebody a strategic leader for patient support, right? For those obstacles for patients and providers after the decision and prescribes have been made. Come up with that. And I absolutely echo I, I anybody in patient support needs to be working closely with their counterparts in legal and compliance. I mean, that's just, you just got it, that's table stakes. Um, but I share this story often. I was working on a copay program, the benefit spend was in the tens of millions of dollars. I had to get an SOW signed for the pass-through. It goes up the food chain, right? it got, it's got to get signed off in Oracle. And the brand director comes up to me and he taps on my desk. He goes, hey, I saw your SOW. He goes, you got to check your math. I think, I think your math is off. And he smiles and he was the nicest guy. So I couldn't even be snarky about it. And I was like, nope, that's right. Those are the right numbers, year one. I think there was a and, zero
1: missing there or something.
0: Yeah, he thought, he thought I had too many zeros.
1: Too many zeros. And,
0: and all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, then you need to start coming to our brand meetings. And I'm like, yes. Um, because, you know, patient support is often considered warm and fuzzy, but many of these programs have direct revenue gross to net impact and can impact your brand margin.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. and 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 think about, you know, when we see, look out there for patient support programs and we see that uh, the patient is expected to download a PDF, we're like, okay, there's a better way and it's really easy to fix. But that just you know, probably means that somebody wasn't at the table at the right time. The good news is that it's easy to fix. So there are other things that are a little harder, but I want to thank both of you, Maureen and uh, Gary. I want to thank all our participants today. Uh, if you have any questions, please find us on LinkedIn and um, we are open to questions there and here and thanks for joining today and have a wonderful rest of your day
0: thanks for listening to the specialty patient podcast follow us for even more episodes on any of your preferred podcast streaming services including apple and spotify you have a suggestion for a topic or a guest please send an email to lindsay at helparound.co. And for more information on Help Around, visit helparound.co.